0: you sappy music hey there fighting for the faith podcast listener just want to remind you at the top of the program here that fighting for the faith is listener supported radio you know no the music isn't working kill the music yeah sorry I see other guys who use sappy music I you know Bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time... edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, July 11th,
1: 2011.
0: You know, it, it's interesting. I, the news stories change during the summer. The, the things we cover are different during the summer. It's... You know, and uh, I'm not sure if this year's uh, her- heresy season is going to be as ginormous as years in the past. I-, I just wonder, you know. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying In the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there's a lot of crazy things being said about God um, from so-called Christian ministries, whether they be Internet-based or church-based or whatever, from Christian authors, Christian speakers, Christian pastors. There's all kinds of crazy things going on. It's as if the new, the novel, the creative, the innovative, uh, and that's an innovative uh, way of pronouncing the word innovation. Uh, but all of that is, uh, is, is the thing that everyone is gravitating towards, uh, rather than the faith once delivered to the saints, the, the faith that's been passed down from, from, you know, generation to generation going all the way back to Jesus Christ. And then even farther than that, I mean, cause when you, we talk about the church, you have to keep in mind that, uh, we see the church in existence in the old testament as well in 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 those who are part of true israel those who have faith and trust in the coming messiah the trusting in the one who would deliver them uh, redeem them uh, suffer and die for them as the scriptures clearly teach in the old testament as well as the new so Anyway, you know, there's there's like I said, there's all kinds of crazy things being said out there. We document them here on this program. We try to have a little bit of fun along the way. What's the point of doing theology and discernment work if you're not going to have a little bit of fun along the way? Anyway, OK, so I'm, I'm looking at what we have on our plate today and uh, oh, man. I mean where do I start with this? I mean there's some there's actually a pretty decent kind of good news article that i I want to play for you but I, I did want to um, well give you a um, a preview of what's coming up in hour number two of fighting for the faith. That's right. It's going to be our first ever sermon review on a sermon that's supposedly, um, roughly, based on trying to find the spiritual themes from the movie Jaws. I mean, this movie scared the willies out of me when I was a kid. Uh, (laughs) I never thought to think that, wow... Steven Spielberg, the entire time, was trying to send a Christian spiritual message. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of a preview of what's coming up in, uh, in hour number two today. We're going to be reviewing. You know, of course, it's summertime, and uh, well, that what does that mean? Well, the seeker-driven, purpose-driven lectionary. They they have a lectionary that they follow they uh, their lectionary rather than preaching on you know gospel texts you know I'm preaching on the bible let me do whoever want heard a thing thing like that uh no no what they uh, what they preach on is uh the, trying to find the, you know delve into the deep spiritual themes of uh of blockbuster movies and tommy sparger of Nor- north point church in springfield Missouri, he's uh well you know he's decided that he's going to be doing several weeks of uh, of um, uh, movie sermonizing uh following the classic uh the classic runaway blockbusters of uh, Steven Spielberg so i mean we've got indiana jones coming up you know and the raiders of the lost ark that's coming up I, I think he's doing Schindler's list et the extraterrestrial i mean i mean who who wouldn't think that this entire sermon series is just uber relevant right Unfortunately, this is not what the Bible commands pastors to teach about. In fact, it's the exact opposite. God's Word actually tells pastors to preach the Word in season and out of season. So anyways, I mean, uh, this is uh, all in an attempt to be relevant to the so-called seeker out there. And uh, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, uh, having spent some time listening to the sermon uh, this one falls, uh, flat, uh, in, in fact, this is, this is just classic bad. That, that's all I can say. So that's coming up in hour number two. You are not, not, not going to want to miss that. So, you know, grab some popcorn, uh, you know, uh, for hour number two today of fighting for the faith, unless it's like really hot in your neck of the woods, you know, I, I you know, well, if you have air conditioning in your home and you're running it, then I think it'd be all right. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, how is it that Christianity has just fallen to absurdity? I mean, this, I mean, seriously. I mean, how is it that we're sitting there going, "Okay, I, I've got a, I've got a better idea than preaching God's word. Hey, here's an idea. Let's preach about movies. Yeah, yeah, that's better than preaching about because because those non Christians don't want to hear God's word, well, right? Because they're non Christians. But Christians need to be taught the word and fed the word. Uh, Anyway, okay, so uh, that's coming up in uh, hour number two. Uh, Shortly here, we're going to be playing audio from a video from the Patricia King gang, uh, a gal we've never reviewed before. Her name is uh, Pamela Carter, and uh, the name of the video is entitled Womb of the Dawn. Yeah, Womb of the Dawn, I have (laughs) no idea. I've watched the video a couple of times. I still have... No clue what it is, what it is that Pamela Carter is trying to communicate in this womb of the dawn thing. Well, at least I, it doesn't make any biblical sense, if you know what I mean. You know, and see, that's the thing. If you don't know your Bible, if you don't know your Bible, you are you are just like wide open to the attacks of the devil, uh, plain and simple. You you know you want to be able to resist the onslaughts, the attacks, uh, the deceptions, the temptations of the devil. Yeah, oh man get into God's word i mean that's i mean God's word has power because it is the word of God it comes from him and, and his word does not return to him void and so yeah i mean yeah. Those people who think that they have more important things to do than read their Bible, or you know, to go to pa- you know to churches where the pastors preach the Bible and teach the Bible, so that they know what the Bible says, so that they they go from biblical illiteracy to actually having a working, functioning, a usable knowledge of the Bible. Yeah, those people don't understand at all uh, the 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 war that we find ourselves in and the devil is a master of disguise um and he's not like inspector clouseau i i love the old pink panther movies and it always would crack me up when uh peter sellers would you know uh, put on a costume and uh, it, it <laughs> you could see through it you know from, you know 10 miles away but that was part of the the humor of the thing well that's not how the devil operates when the devil puts on camouflage or he tries to counterfeit himself, he does a fantastic job of trying to look like the original. In fact, uh, one of the metaphors uh, that is a good metaphor for understanding what it is that we're up against is is, uh, is, the, is the metaphor of counterfeit money. And uh, I've actually been trained, uh, you know, I, I when I was a young guy and I was skinny and I, you know, didn't have gray hair and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Back when uh, when I thought that I had promise in the world. (laughs) Anyway, I worked in a bank in uh, downtown Seattle and I was trained uh, not only at that bank, but also trained in a, you know, in a a, uh, monthly uh, seminar put on by the uh, FBI in in Seattle. At least this was the case back when I was uh, doing bank telling and uh, where they taught us how to spot counterfeit bills and the guy who taught us how to how to uh spot counterfeit money drilled this into our head that uh, the way you the what the easiest and most effective way of knowing how to spot a counterfeit bill is to know the original so well that the counterfeit just doesn't feel right i know it sounds kind of postmodern but you know work with me here the the idea is is that uh you know the the original the real thing there's particular traits to it and if you study and understand those particular traits from the type of paper that uh, it's printed on to the type of ink to the, the denominational look and feel for each of the different uh, bills uh, I mean all kinds of different types of things you know going on there there's you know and so the idea is is that there's a, there's a million and one different ways to counterfeit but there's only one original and so, by knowing the original, in fact, uh, as part of our training, we worked with a, one of the most frustrating uh, types of money to work with. And uh, but the thing we were working with in my uh, counterfeit detection class was new, brand new bills. And uh, oh, yeah, I, I sorry. I, I you ever try to count out new, brand new bills? It just feels like they stick together. They don't. It, yeah, it, new bills are just more trouble than they're worth. At least if you're a bank teller, and anybody who's been a bank teller will tell you the same. You know, they, you know, the, you know, when you get a bundle of money and it's got a whole stack of you know brand new bills, you just go, oh, oh man, I don't want to have to count this out. Anyway, working with all of those new bills and studying the original had a purpose, and that was to make it. So that you can easily detect counterfeit bills. And uh, even though it's been over 20... 20... uh, Oh, man. It's been almost 25 years since I've been a bank teller. Anyway, uh, since it's been that long yeah uh, over the course of those you know that almost decade and a half since I've been a bank teller there have been a couple of times that I have been in a uh, in a grocery store or a Walmart and uh, the gal behind the uh, the cashier's you know desk counted out money to me and I've handed bills back to uh you know the cashier and said uh, I I don't want this one this one's not real it's counterfeit and uh, and sure enough they would you know run their little pen over it and go oh wow that it how did you know it's like well, that's the thing. I was trained how to spot counterfeits, and the way I was trained to do it was be so familiar with the original that there was no way I was going to fall for a counterfeit. So that's the same holds true for uh, Christianity. Sound biblical doctrines, sound Christian uh, teaching. Uh, if If you don't want to fall... Uh, victim to the deceptive wolves keep in mind they're trying to pass themselves off as true christians they're trying to pass off their doctrine as biblical doctrine they are trying to look like the real thing although less and less nowadays um but the the the, in order to deceive you if if you don't want to be taken in by their deception you have got to get your nose in the book um and not only that i mean i mean god's word talks about itself in such a way that it says that you know what did jesus say man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god if you're not reading your bible if you are not being taught god's word your faith is starving um you are emaciated you need a meal uh you know you, you don't you don't neglect to feed your body don't neglect to feed your faith anyway yeah it's I, I, again that's that's the simple solution to uh, biblical illiteracy and the deception that's going on is a rise in a stu- in the study of the real thing anyway so we're going to do the womb of the dawn here um it, it, this is one of those uh, uh article i got a huffington post article and um the headline reads, New York Archbishop Timothy Dolan writes on blog that after gay marriage, polygamy is the next battle. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't we losing all of these culture battles? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I'll i chime in on that. Um, and then uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, the good one that I wanted to get to. Um, I've got a, a Rob Bell update. and Not, not via, via Rob Bell, but a gentleman by the name of uh, John Downey from his uh, blog entitled Writer's Block. Uh, he's got a a blog that he posted. He's written entitled "What Hath Rob Bell Wrought," and uh, this is one of those uh, blog posts that makes me go, "Hmm, maybe there's a maybe there's a, a, a well a silver lining to some of the bad things that have gone on." So we'll uh, we'll take a look at that today. Uh, let's see. I got a new story here from the United Church of Christ. They've banished God the Father. You know, God the Father. He's no longer allowed in the United. Uh, church of christ i i you know i wonder if he'll respect those uh, boundaries that they've set up and uh, and like i've said uh well uh, um our number two is our jaws sermon and if i have time i'll get to uh an, another one of these wonderful basic apologetics blog posts from the white horse Inn blog uh this one is entitled i think all paths lead to god so we got a lot of ground to cover today um and uh you know we'll just kind of work our way through it of course if you'd like to uh you know make yourself comfortable that is the best way to enjoy fighting for the faith we don't have a problem if you want to uh, listen to the program while on your treadmill or uh, commuting to work or driving across the country for your family vacation all that's perfectly fine um however keep in mind if you are on a treadmill or driving across the country or you know in, in commuting to work that's not the best time to enjoy an adult beverage while listening to fighting for the faith i I do think it's important to make that particular thing clear. Of course, Fuzzy Bunny Slippers, (laughs) they really do enhance your listener experience, unless, of course, it's really warm in your neck of the woods, like it's warm here in Indiana. And we're we're in the dog days of summer here in Indianapolis, and whew. (laughs) I was was, uh, trying to get my exercise in today, and uh, I picked the wrong time of the day to do it. Oh, man. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, one of the things I do, I enjoy doing is I play disc golf. And, um, and so, uh, in fact, if I'm ever in your neck of the woods and you want to play disc golf with me, send me an email, you know, you know, if I'm speaking at a conference at your neck of the woods you know, like, uh, like next week, um, I'm going to be in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, speaking at a conference at, uh, Emory university. So, uh, any of you guys out there who are listeners in the Atlanta area and you want to play some disc golf? Let me know. Send me an email. Maybe we can set something up. Anyway, but anyway, so I was uh, – <laughs> I uh, <laughs> picked the wrong time of the day to do this. And it was – it has to do with the you – know, I, I don't want to get into all the details. Anyway, so I chose to do it in the heat of the day, not really realizing that today was like one of those like you know weather channels, special weather heat advisory alert day. I didn't pay attention. I didn't look at the the forecast. And I should have realized that there was something wrong when i got out of my car uh at the uh, disc golf course uh, one of them that i play at um my my glasses fogged up and, <laughs> no i'm not kidding i i stepped outside and immediately poof my 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 glasses fogged up and i go wow it's it's kind of humid <laughs> it's like really you think so chris <laughs> yeah even i say dumb things to myself but anyway so uh <laughs> I was only able to get nine holes in. At the end of it, I was—you could take my shirt and you could wring out the sweat. It was—it was just horrible. Anyway, so I don't recommend playing in the heat of the day. That's just um, anyway. So, why am I saying that? I have no idea. I just thought I would share. So, uh, let's dive into the program proper, and uh, that requires this. That's right. Speaking of counterfeit. Christian ministries, and that would be the work of Extreme Prophetic. You know, one of the worst counterfeits out there. I mean, it doesn't even. I mean, that's like the folks over at Extreme Prophetic don't even try. It's like they don't even try to look even remotely orthodox. Anyway, here's uh, Pamela Carter and um, her her two part one of a two part series that she's posted of videos at the Extreme Prophetic Ministry website entitled, Womb of the Dawn. Uh, Yeah, the tinfoil pyramid head.
1: Hi, I'm Pamela Carter, and we are going to be talking today about the womb of the dawn, or the womb of the morning. And did you realize that that actually is in the Bible, that the morning or the dawn, the early part of the day, has a womb,
0: Oh, that's right. Each day is just pregnant with possibilities. Uh, sorry.
1: Well, that is W O M B. Yes, and in the Hebrew, it means matrix.
2: It means it means what? <laughs> oh man! Uh. The matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window. Or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work. When you go to church. When you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch, a prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. yeah, Sorry, I
0: don't know what happened there. I uh, apparently went off on some Matrix tangent... Well, let's get back to the womb of the dawn here. So
1: think about this. You are the matrix of God's womb.
0: So... <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm thinking about that. All right, Pamela. I am the matrix of God's womb. Hmm. Yeah. I have no idea what that sentence even means. But I had no idea that I, I personally, me, that I was the matrix of God's
2: womb.
1: And be, yes. And in the Hebrew it means matrix. So think about this. You are the matrix of God's womb. So we're going to be talking about how God in the very beginning said, Let there be light. And that is Genesis 1 3. He says, God said and he said, He spoke it, let there be light. And he said, um, and God saw the light that it was good. And he, then he divided the light from the darkness. So any area in your life, we're going to be talking today about transition. What, what type of transition are you in right now? Are you coming?
0: (laughs) Pamela, Pamela, um, what seminary did you go to again? Oh, it doesn't look like you even went to one. Um yeah uh I hate to break it to you but um Genesis 1 is really not a, your story or my story or anybody else's story. It is the historical account of the creation of the universe of the, of the world that we live in. Of the solar system that our planet is a part of and it, it it's the it's the 6 days of creation. So um, there's no allegorical symbolical value that somehow that this means that God wants to separate the light and the darkness in your life yeah, this is you know man you, you don't know how to handle uh, that sword of of god's word you might want to put that thing down before you hurt somebody with it
1: into the twilight of your life are you coming into the morning of your life or are you coming into the into the evening or twilight of your life well god um talks about this and 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 i just had a really awesome revelation in psalm 110 3
0: you had an awesome revelation really oh god the holy spirit speaks to you directly too wow
1: he said your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power so As we sense the spirit of the Lord is moving right now. He's moving in transition. He's moving in his power.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what that psalm has any, what the connection there is with Genesis 1.
1: It says, his people will volunteer freely in the day of his power. And it says, in the beauties of your holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. So not only are you going to be volunteering freely in his- now,
0: uh, it's so funny because you started off this entire bizarre video with the claim that the the morning has a womb you are familiar with the fact that the psalms are literally hebrew poetry um that being the case is it's not speaking literally in this sense i mean for instance there's a psalm that talks about uh, you know Uh, God, you know, being like an eagle, you know, know, raising us up on the wings of eagle. Well, God doesn't have feathers. Uh, Jesus, when he was weeping over Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, uh, you you who stone the prophets, you know, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. Well, that does not mean that Jesus was the San Diego chicken and that he, you know, he actually was a. A yellow birded, you know, a yellow feathered big bird running around the uh, Judean countryside with people chasing him to fry him up. Uh, it doesn't mean any of that. I mean, so here you're taking a psalm, which is using poetic language, and you're you're taking that literally. Now, good biblical hermeneutics, you know, there's certain things you should be taking you know, taking literally in the biblical text. Some things you should not be taking literally because they're not meant to be taken literally. For instance, historical narrative, it's to be taken literally. Hebrew poetry, the flowery language, the uh, the poetic metaphors and things like that, those are all word pictures. So, um, yeah, I mean, why is it that you've got this backwards? Probably because you don't have any real biblical training to be teaching the Bible.
1: Day of his power. You're going to be moving in the beauty of His holiness, and you're going to be transitioning into your youth. Even if you're in the latter part of your life, you're going to be going backwards. That's what I always say. People so
0: I'm going to transition into my youth again. Right.
1: well ask me how old I am, and I always say, I'm going backwards. Because in God's timetable, there is no time. So we live in the eternal realm. So that's what we do. We go backwards into the dew of our youth. But... In Genesis 1-5, he said um, he called the light day, and then the darkness he called night. And do you realize there wasn't such a thing as evening and morning? There was not such a thing as darkness and light until he divided the light. And I thought that was very interesting, how God will release his light, his glory into your life. And... (laughs)
0: Uh, have you been to the Stephen Furtick School of um, Biblical Hermeneutics? And you know, just, uh, the reason why is because uh, y- you seem to think the Bible's about you. Um, yeah.
1: Actually release a dividing line between the dark areas of your life that sh- don't belong there and then those that should be there in his light and his glory until all there's left is light.
3: Oh,
2: brother.
1: And... um. Then in Genesis one, one through five, he says, "Evening and morning were the first day." Now, in the Hebrew culture, you know, in our culture in America, if you're not watching this and you're not from America, yeah.
0: Where did you learn all this information about the Hebrew culture? I'm I'm curious. Uh, who's who's who was the expert biblical scholar whose feet you sat? At to learn all this great scholarly learning and teaching that you're passing along here in this convoluted video of yours
1: um, we in our culture the morning uh, the womb of the dawn is the beginning of the day but in the Hebrew culture that was not the case In the Hebrew culture evening or twilight was the beginning of the day.
0: By the way, that is historically true.
1: And so uh, I thought that was a very interesting. Twilight represents a significant time in prophetic activity.
0: (laughs) Twilight represents. Notice uh, this is the same kind of hermeneutic that uh, Harold Camping engaged in. Um, You know, I don't know what he's doing now. I think he's still in that skilled nursing facility. But here you take you take something in the Bible that's to be understood, the stories to be understood in historical narrative to be taken literally. And then what you do, uh, you you, you say, oh, no, 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 no. That's too simple. No, 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 no. What what we need to do is we need to find. All kinds of different, you know, symbolical meanings of the different things. So what happens is you read the story of like um, of, of Moses standing before the burning bush and then you and, you know, and so Moses has a staff and. And so you come up with his staff represents, uh, yeah, yeah, it represents his vocation, and 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 uh, and the burning bush represents um, uh, acid reflux disease, it, 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 all this crazy stuff. And when you start doing this to the Bible, you t- you turn the Bible into a, a piece of silly putty, and you start bending and twisting it into all different little funny little shapes and things. Uh, but uh, you're doing violence and twisting the text because the Bible this this portion of the scriptures is not intended to be understand understood this way at all and this is a form of eisegesis that we're listening to.
1: So actually what you're doing is you're shutting down the old, you're shutting down the old life, your work day, your busyness, and then as the evening comes, that's kind of the end of that type of busyness, that type of our works, that type of our own works of righteousness that we have done and i believe that god is bringing us into a prophetic time of transition and we're going to be coming into we are right now in that twilight
0: right yeah uh Uh, uh-huh pamela i hate to break this to you but this biblical text doesn't say anything of the sort um, you're not qualified to teach the Bible, and uh, you need to stop wasting uh, space on the Internet with this kind of tripe. Anyway, we're up on our uh, first uh, uh, first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at com. or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Uh, we'll be right back.
3: Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to fighting for the faith. Listening to pirate Christian radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine. Now.
4: <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church.
0: Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk. For those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew, have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzmann's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating in depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So, the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says "Join Our Crew." You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Back. Warning. Listening to fighting for the faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if they're not giving you the goods and teaching you false doctrine and not pointing you to Jesus Christ. Anyway, need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we truly do depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. Uh, You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code four. Six zero three eight. By the way, uh, we're, we're, it's it hasn't been quite a month yet for the uh, the Kretzmann commentary, and uh, at least when we released it, so we're we're still running the Kretzmann commentary on uh, the Gospel of Matthew for our promotion at this point. Uh, the other the other thing is is that we don't quite have our next resource ready yet. We're not done with the editing, so we'll keep it posted as to when the next thing is. So, uh, anyway, stay tuned. Anyway, uh, moving along here.
4: Special people
0: change How many lives are living strange Where were you while we were getting high Slowly walking down the hall Faster than That's right. We're going to have a little Someday bit of a Rob Bell update here. In the sky. Anyway, love the old Oasis. I don't particularly care for the newer stuff that they put out. Anyway, um, I've got a blog post here from a uh, listener. Uh, whose name is John Downey, and uh, he, you can find his um, blog. It, the name of it is Writer's Block, and you can find it at Hoosier Youth 35. That's right, Hoosier, like the Indiana Hoosiers. your Youth Guy 35. And uh, he's got an interesting blog post that he put up on the ninth of July entitled What hath Rob Bell wrought? It's an interesting uh, blog post, and I want to pass it along to you, and there's there's some stuff in here that makes me go, hmm, and uh, hmm in a good way. Hmm is is good. Anyway, um, here's what John writes. He says, mention the name Rob Bell these days among the evangelical crowd, and you're sure to get a reaction, be it good or bad. There is no longer an indifferent I experienced this the other day as a coworker asked me if I liked Rob Bell and if I had read his most recent book, Love Wins. By the way, I will be speaking uh, at uh, the uh, Higher Things Quorum uh, Deo in Bloomington, Illinois, uh, this week on uh, uh, on uh, Rob Bell's Love Wins. I'm going to be speaking there on that. I'm going to also be speaking in Atlanta next week, uh, talking about this very topic. Anyway. Um, um, Downey continues. says my immediate reaction upon mention of his name was to cringe. Uh, though in hindsight, I, I hope it wasn't visible. Much of my own reaction stems from my own experience with Rob Bell. At one time, I was a devoted fan. I watched all the NUMA videos I could get my hands on. I read his books. I even listened to podcasts of his sermons In retrospect, I feel like smacking myself on the back of the head for such blind allegiance, which is probably where my initial cringe stemmed from when the aforementioned co-worker asked about him. Bell's book, Love Wins, has certainly generated much discussion, both inside and outside of the church walls, and while some are shocked at how far Bell has fallen outside of the lines of orthodoxy, I'm not at all surprised it's not that Bell has fallen outside the lines of orthodoxy in the church he's always been there John <laughs> gotta tell you great quote there and in Fantastic insight. You're absolutely right. It's not that Rob Bell has fallen outside of the lines of orthodoxy. He's never been inside of them. He's always been outside of them, you know, from the beginning, uh, even from his earliest NUMA videos, you know, everything spiritual, that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, let me read that again. While some are shocked as 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 how. At how far Rob Bell has fallen outside of the lines of of orthodoxy, I am not at all surprised. It's not that Bell has fallen outside of the lines of orthodoxy in the church. He's always been there. It's just that this is the first time it can more clearly be seen. Even in his first book, Velvet Elvis, he asked questions about the origins of the Christian faith, such as, if we take out one of the pillars or springs of Christianity, i.e. the virgin birth, would the whole thing fall apart? Well, in the book, his answer is no, that he believes the Christian faith is the best way to live. In reality, the answer is yes. If we take away the virgin birth, the whole thing does fall apart. If Christ had had an earthly father, he would not be the second Adam. That is to say, with an earthly father, he would have been born under the curse of Adam. Therefore, he would not have been a perfect sacrifice without blemish, and he would have no ability to take away the sins of the world, not to mention the fact that he would not be fully God and man, as the Bible says, he would be just a man. So Bell is certainly no stranger to doing theological somersaults and jumping through hoops to force the Bible to conform to his theology, a theology that is deceptive at best and damning at worst. But has Bell been bad for the church as a whole? Don't misunderstand me. I believe that he is he is weakly misleading thousands of people away from the firm foundations of the Bible and into his own twisted version of what Christianity is in the 21st century. And I pray that God, would allow the Holy Spirit to open their eyes to the truth of the Scripture. I wish instead of selling his books and videos, LifeWay stores would have never put them on the shelf or added them to the catalog. I will bemoan this point further in future blog posts. I wish that instead of allowing Bell to speak regularly at Willow Creek, which I know he did as recently as last August, I was at Willow for the leadership conference not by my choice and saw the flyers promoting Bell and the CDs and the DVDs of his teaching at Willow for sale In the bookstore. That's right. Willow has a huge Rob Bell section there, at least the last time I was there. I wish Bill Hybels would have proclaimed his teachings dangerous and declared him accursed as instructed in Galatians, but that might hurt Hybels' popularity. Plus, it would require a proper understanding of sound biblical hermeneutics, so obviously that wouldn't happen. I just wonder if those materials are still in the bookstore at Willow Creek. But has Love Wins been bad for the church as a whole? Love wins has drawn a line in the sand. Either you still follow Rob Bell and his teachings, or you see how far he is from orthodoxy and you want to warn everybody. As per my experience, though, I, I don't think Bell has been entirely bad for the church as a whole. My own spiritual wandering into the myths and legends promoted by Bell has brought me a greater love for true orthodoxy and sound doctrine. Our church, though at one time it would be classified as seeker friendly, now does expository sermons every week and is even uh, going through a series on Wednesday nights during our midweek service on doctrine using Mark Driscoll's book of the same title and Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, and primarily the Bible. Just as my eyes were opened to the theological circus of Rob Bell, thanks to the Holy Spirit and ministries like Pirate Christian Radio, so have the eyes of our pastor and elders at our church, thanks to God's grace and love, winds. I know my story is not unique. I have had conversations with others who have survived Bell's bad teaching and now love sound doctrine. Bell's dance of decepti- deceptive and misleading questions has even opened my eyes to my aforementioned co-worker, who I was able to talk to, present the gospel to, for a true Christian should never tire of hearing it, and recommend some other more solid books. Her next book to read is Erasing Hell by Francis Chan because she wants answers. She wants to know that she knows something that's solid and rooted in the firm foundation of Scripture. And I pray that, like her, the Holy Spirit would open everyone's eyes to what the nature of true saving faith is, is, that this is in Christ alone, through faith alone, that the Bible, every word of it is true and relevant for today and forever. I don't believe this whole love wins thing has been all bad, just as usually happens what Satan intended for evil, God has used for good, because in the end, God always wins. Fascinating post. And and this is the kind of thing that makes this is the kind of post that makes me go hmm there there it, it, maybe there's a reaction going on within Christendom to the laxadaisical, non doctrinal or anti doctrinal way of doing things that has uh, run amok in the church over the past couple of decades maybe just maybe this is uh, the first visible signs of uh, that thaw. Uh, of that of that winter being uh, thawed. There's, there's cracks in the ice, if you would. Maybe things are warming up in the right direction. Maybe people are so fed up with the banal, the shallow, the unorthodox, the clever, the innovative, uh, and uh, it, that they want to get back to what the Bible says and teaches, which is really all about Christ and this great news that Jesus bled and died for you. And for me. So, John, thank you for passing that along and thank you for writing that fascinating, uh, fascinating, fascinating thing. And I I think there's much here to rejoice about. So, all right, uh, moving along. From the uh, uh, worldnetdaily.com website, headline reads God the Father Banished by Mainline Denomination. I. They kicked God the Father out. Who who how, Can a Christian church do that? Anyway, uh, this is written by Bob Unruh. Anyway, the, uh, the story reads this. Uh, the United Church of Christ, the denomination whose Chicago pastor Jeremiah Wright blasted uh, the United States and white people for years from the pulpit while Barack Obama sat in the pews, has decided to banish... God the Father from its organizational documents a report from Eric Anderson on the denomination's website confirmed the delegates to the UCC's General Synod 28 agreed late Monday to a series of proposed amendments to the constitution and bylaws the vote was 613 in favor of the changes 171 against and 10 abstain, uh, abstaining uh, the changes included a appointed uh, deletion of a reference to God as Heavenly Father, which has been part of Christendom's description of the Trinity for millennia. The three persons of God being the Heavenly Father, Christ the Son and Savior and the Holy Ghost, the Counselor and Comforter. In Article 5, referencing local churches, the Constitution previously said, A local church is composed of persons who... Believing in God as Heavenly Father and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and depending on the guidance of the Holy Spirit are organized for Christian worship, for the furtherance of Christian fellowship, and for the ongoing work of Christian witness. The new language, which still must be reviewed by the denomination's conferences, would be changed to say a local church is composed of persons who, believing in the triune God, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, and depending on the guidance of the Holy Spirit— yeah, um, the words A, as Heavenly Father um, mysteriously, well, they've been deleted. They've been X'd out. They've got the little strike through going on there. Other constitutional changes in the package approved by delegates meeting in Tampa, Florida over the holiday weekend dealt with issues such as modifications in the church structure, responsibilities of boards and committees. Denomination spokeswoman Barbara Powell told WorldNet Daily that the change was made. Because the reference to Heavenly Father was too restrictive. Hmm. Too restrictive. So, um, yeah, uh, but what if it's true, Um, um, uh, UCC spokeswoman um, Barbara Powell? uh, What if it's actually true? You're sitting here going, so we want to get rid of the language that reveals that the triune God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit but you think that the word father is too restrictive well actually it is restrictive it, it restricts you from inventing your own god and it it restricts you from from basically you know concocting your own deity at least in the christian church um so you think that the the language of father is too restrictive but that's how um well you know god has revealed himself you know, Matthew chapter 28 comes to mind you know just one of those vague passages um where Jesus tells the disciples go all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me go and th- go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name the singular name of the father the son and the holy spirit i mean are are we to c- come to the conclusion here that Jesus was being too restrictive um by telling the disciples to go and make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the, the, the disciples, the, the the real Christian response that the disciples should have given to Jesus was, oh, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus, what are you thinking? You, you want us to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Don't you know that that's restrictive language that doesn't allow people to worship a goddess? I mean, come on, Jesus. How do you expect us to... You know, to make this message relevant to, a, you know, to the Greco-Roman world where there's gods and goddesses, you know, you got, you got Venus and Aphrodite and uh, and, and Diana and you got all these different, I mean, and, and and there's vestal virgins and things like that running around and here you want us to go and reveal that there's only one God and he's God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, listen, there's no female references here. How on earth are we supposed to make this relevant to the Greco-Roman world? I mean, this is too restrictive. Can we just strike that? You know, you know. I have an idea. Well, let's wait for Jesus to ascend into heaven, and after he's not, he's ascended into heaven when he's not looking. We'll just, you know, we'll just get rid of that restrictive language. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, Barbara Powell, uh, a spokesman for the UCC, said that Heavenly Father was too restrictive. Quote, in the UCC, our language for God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit is preferred to be more open for different expressions of the Trinity. She said, Heavenly Father is just one vision. Uh, She told World Net Day that the denomination seeks to be inclusive in its language. So therefore, we will tend to change the language that is more traditional to be more inclusive. In other words, they're just making up their own God. Yeah, that's what it basically comes down to. She said some of the denomination's pastors refer to God with such terms as Creator, the Father, and Mother. Uh, There are a lot of people who decided if God still is speaking to us, there is more light and truth to break forth. She said, "Yeah, so yeah, we're looking for that new light to break forth, not the old light. Yeah, the, the stuff in the Bible." However, a group within the denomination, the Biblical Witness Fellowship, was critical of the editing. Rejecting God as Father is an a, in an age of fatherlessness is unthinkable, said David Runyon Bareford, uh, leader of the fellowship organization, God acted towards us in amazing grace when he offered a, to be our Father through the sacrifice of his Son, Jesus Christ, who offers us life in his name. I, I would basically say to, uh, to uh, David uh, Runyon Barefoot here that um, regardless of whether or not this is an age of fatherlessness, it kind of is a moot point. The point is is that, This is who God is. This is what he's revealed about himself. Um, Who are we to to quibble with God about his very nature? You understand what I'm saying? This is more than just a title. This tells us something about the very nature of God. Anyway, this is not something we as humans made up in some other time. Rejecting our father is an act of arrogant rebellion in the name of cultural conformity. That only further alienates member churches, but more importantly, it alienates God himself. Yes, it does. That's correct. He noted the Constitution had contained the reference since its founding in 1957 and said, It remains the covenant connection with the basic truths of Christianity that keeps many churches affiliated who are otherwise alienated by the denomination's very liberal agenda. The organization, a group inside the denomination, warned that the UCC is the leader among Protestant denomination denominations in member loss. Of course, it is because their God isn't even real. Uh, let's continue. Uh, quote: This is indeed a powerful confession by the synod that the UCC, having rebelled against the Word of God, is on sinking sand with our members, churches' historic witness and identity in Christ washing away before our eyes. Runyon Bearford said. Yeah, again, you know, here's the deal. False doctrine doesn't strive to coexist with sound doctrine. It doesn't. It, 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 it can't. And the idea is this, is that this, is, this comes back to a, a flat-out breaking of the First Commandment. The First Commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. And there is no other god than the, than the, the god who truly exists, the one who has revealed himself in scriptures. There is no other god and um and you say well how can you make such a statement chris well it's plain and simple um jesus christ claimed to be the god of the jews in human flesh and he proved his claim by rising from the dead that being the case there's no other i mean the game is over jesus won okay in, in the deities that exist category there is only one and we re, and we learn from the scriptures that jesus put his stamp of approval on that God is a triune God. He's a, He's one and He's three. How does this happen? Well, I don't understand how the nature of God thing works. But what we know is is that God's Word clearly says that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians do not have veto power. The Church does not have authority to, well, pull out uh, you know the whiteout if you would, and sit and you know and sit there and go. Okay, um let's see it says God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We don't like that, so let's wipe that out. Father, that's gone. Um Son, well we we better change that too, because I mean there's there's a whole nother masculine issue thing going on here. Or, or to insert things like mother or whatever. This is a breaking of the first commandment. This is creating a God in your own image, a God that is uh, attuned to your cultural sensibilities, a God that that you don't need to repent of your false doctrine and false beliefs in order to believe in. This is the God that's already ready-made in your heart. But it's not the God who exists. It's not the God who is there. It is not the God who 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 died on the cross for your sins this is a different god and as, when churches start listening to the culture and give the culture veto power uh, over which which doctrines are taught in the church, what, this, that, that false doctrine, is that's what it is. It doesn't seek to coexist with tr- sound biblical doctrine. It seeks to destroy it, to eat it away, to pour acid upon the true doctrine and get rid of it so that we can replace the true God with our false God. And this is what's happening in the UCC. And it's a very serious, serious uh, thing that's uh, happened here. And our, our prayers go out. To those uh, Christians who still exist in the UCC, um, they might want to consider coming out. I, I don't. I don't think that this organization can be saved. It may, it might be best just to flush the whole organization and and uh, find some new ecclesiastical order to uh, to put in its place. All right. I'm um, looking at my time here. Last story of the day. Um, from the Huffington Post, uh, the, uh, the headline reads New York Archbishop Timothy Dolan writes on blog that after gay marriage, polygamy's the next battle. Um, who wrote this? Do I have a byline? I don't have a byline on this. Uh, Dateline New York uh, New York Archbishop Timothy Dolan says he's worried that the next step in the marriage debate will be another redefinition to allow polygamy and infidelity. Well, okay, yeah. It it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that this particular slippery slope that we're on. What's coming next? And I I think he's right. I can In in the greater culture, I I think you're going to see a push for uh, polygamy. I think you're going to see a push for um, you know uh, open marriage. Um, uh, the, uh, I think you'll see a push for what are called polyamorous uh, relationships, where you have Um, you know, a a group, uh, you know, a tight group of people, you know, several guys, several girls who all, you know, well, you get what I'm saying. So and what's the reason for this? Is it because we haven't properly fought against polygamy? Is it because that there isn't that that we haven't properly fought against, uh, 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 you know, homosexuality and things like that? It's real simple. I mean, this uh, Here's the deal. Humanity by default because of our sin in Adam, every human being is born dead in trespasses and sins, plain and simple. And they're born at war with God, and that and that rebellion it manifests itself in many ways, including uh, through uh, through sex. And so the idea here is this: is that um, the Christian church has been uh, basically given you know a mission by Christ. You know, you think of the Blues Brothers, you know, I'm on a mission from God. Well, all Christians are technically on a mission from God. We are ambassadors of God's kingdom, announcing that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them, and calling all sinners to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. The the problem is, is that when the church engages in Well, uses its limited resources. You know, the church does not have unlimited resources in the the sense of time and money and things like that. And so when the church takes the limited resources that it has and squanders those resources in fighting culture wars, um, uh, people are not brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. Let, Let me give you an example. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of blood, sweat, money, and treasure has gone into fighting against gay marriage. Now, I understand that in in a republic, in a you know, in a, in a democratic republic like the United States, that uh, you know, the people need to be politically involved. No, I don't. Ha- I don't have a problem with that. But work with me here for a second on this: the church has been distracted. The church has has uh, completely lost faith in the Word of God. And this shows in the fact that the church is not boldly proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to everybody in our nation. As a result of it, what's happened is, is that as the church has lost faith in the word of God, no longer trusts it, no longer believes that it's God's word is, is the thing that has the power in bringing people to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. They're off doing their clever little gimmicks and things like that, and they're spending a lot of – inordinate amount of time, money, and treasure – Fighting the culture wars, but let's just say that the the church won. Okay, you know the the church put up a united front, and uh, they were able to uh, that the church was able to stop. You know, put some some you know stake into the heart of gay marriage. Okay, um, and as a result of it, no, not one of the states in the United States anymore has the ability legally to uh, to uh, you know to marry homosexuals. Da, 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 da. Okay, we can we can we can celebrate, right? Hooray, we've won the gay marriage fight. Mm, have we? Cuz I the last time I checked, um you know, just when you pass a law restricting gay marriage, um you haven't brought anybody to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins at all. All you've done is kept gays from getting a marriage certificate but have you brought them to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins probably not and so as a result of it you know i i i think that we're spending far too much time on the culture war thing and you know what here's the deal we <laughs> you know how many more culture war battles are we going to have to lose before we realize you know, maybe there's no power in the culture wars? Maybe the power is in the proclamation of the gospel. Maybe the power is in, the, is, is in God's word. Maybe the power is found in boldly proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins to everybody in the United States and to get, get away from all of this nonsense. Because here's the deal. Again, everybody born is born by default. Uh, their default setting is sinner. And in rebellion against God. So, it, 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 if the church doesn't do an effective job of proclaiming God's word, proclaiming Christ as you know, crucified for our sins, and calling sinners to repentance, if they're off doing other things, people are not being brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. They're not being regenerated by the working of the Holy Spirit, and the and the percentage of you know of people who are non Christians in a democratic republic continues to grow to a point where they can outvote the Christians. You know, again, so the counterintuitive way of, of fighting this thing is actually not directly, and the reason why is this: is that homosexual marriage uh, and polygamy and uh, adultery and all of these things are a fruit of the problem. They're they're not the actual problem themselves. The fruit of the problem is is uh, the the problem is is that we're all sinners by nature, and uh, the fruit of that it, it's manifested in multiple different ways uh, in all kinds of uh, perversity within. Uh, humanity and shown visibly in our own culture. And not only that, you know, evil gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And so if you're trying to fight the problem by stamping out the fruit, you're not actually addressing the root problem. The root problem is our sinful nature. And that's only killed, uh, you you know, literally, and that's kind of the way of putting it. It's killed through the preaching of the gospel. So I I think we need to uh, basically consider all of this other stuff a distraction and get back to what we're supposed to be doing. Anyway, let me continue writing uh, this this article. Dolan wrote on his blog Thursday, Recall how the church resisted the contraceptive mentality, fearing that it would rupture the sacred bond between love and the procreation of children. Then remember how the church sounded the alarm over rising rates of promiscuity, adultery, premarital sex, and cohabitation prior to or instead of marriage and now we ring the steeple bell again at the latest dilution of the authentic understanding of marriage worried that the next step will be another redefinition to justify multiple partners and in infidelity well, um archbishop uh, dolan um that's what sinners do and uh, sinners love to sin um you know, you know pigs like muck sinners like sin you know uh the um the way to fight this is um from the pulpit Bold proclamation of repentance and the free forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Oh, wait. Um, the Roman Catholic Church is, doesn't. They anathematized the gospel at the Council of Trent. Hmm. Might explain why they're you know they're going to be powerless in um fighting this. Again, what's the solution to all of the evil and the growing evil in our world? Preach the gospel, make disciples. Um, the uh, the world that the disciples went out into to proclaim the gospel. And keep in mind, there were, you know, as 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 a percentage of the overall population, you know, if you were to look at Christians at the time when Jesus ascended into heaven in the and the day of Pentecost, uh, Christians were like one less than one half of one half of one half of one half of one percent of the total population of the Roman Empire on the day of Pentecost. And within three four hundred years, uh, Christianity became the predominant religion of the uh, empire. And how was that accomplished? By proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. You know, again, you know, numbers don't mean anything to God. And when Christians don't have any faith in the only weapon that we have, the only power that we have, and that being God's word, which the Holy Spirit uses to regenerate people and bring them to repentance, well, then we're going to continue to see evil multiply, and we're going to wonder why. Well, that's the reason why is because we're off topic. We're off mission. Let's get back to what we're supposed to do. Um, Yeah, that's right. Proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. Yeah, talk about off-topic, by the way. Um, We're up on our second break, and uh, we are going to, when we come back, we're going to be listening to a sermon on the movie Jaws. Yeah, because um, it's so relevant. We'll be right back.
3: we preach Christ crucified for our sins. you're listening to Fighting for the Faith,
0: Chris Rosebro here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says join our crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. This is a first. (laughs) Never heard a sermon on the movie Jaws. Until now. Go. Let's queue it up. The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is entitled, God at the Movies, Jaws. This was preached this past Sunday, yesterday, at North Point Church, Springfield, Missouri. Tommy Sparger... Presiding. And this is a short sermon. It's not very long. Huh. Could it be that there are just not that many spiritual themes to uh, plumb the depths of in the movie Jaws? Or is it that he's engaging in um, uh, cinematic uh Ha ha Yeah, wait till you see what he does with this. I mean, hang on a second here. Let me kill the music. I mean, before we get into the sermon, I mean, I remember seeing Jaws when I was a young guy. I mean, it it came out when I was in elementary school, and it was probably one of the first scary movies I've ever seen. And that movie gave me nightmares. I mean... That where that part where that head pops out of that hole in the boat for the you know the like the very first time you see uh you know somebody dying you know well I, you know the the death you know really truly associated in a way that you can clearly see it I mean it just freaked me out and I remember as a kid going what kind of world is this we live in where sharks eat people?" <laughs> made me realize the world was not a very safe place but I never in my wildest dreams would I have ever ever believed that the movie jaws somehow was a religious movie that Steven Spielberg had some christian message in it not at all and i mean even to this day though i mean watching that movie i mean it's a, it's just a fabulous movie it's well made and despite the fact that from the um, Point of view of like technology, you know, the shark obviously looks fake. It's still a well told story to the point where it doesn't really matter that the shark looks fake. It doesn't matter that much at all. No, uh, in fact, um, it 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 kind of I don't know. It just fits. Anyway, um, so uh, with that, let's dive into our sermon review uh, proper here. Again, a short sermon. Um, I think it probably has something to do with the fact that the, the, the movie that was chosen for this Sunday's sermon just isn't teeming with biblical content at all. But Tommy Sparger wants to be relevant because this is how you grow a church. This is how you grow a church. You give people what they want, and they want movie sermons. So let's give them that, and that's how you grow a church. So here's Tommy Sparger and his sermon entitled, God at the Movies, Jaws.
3: We want to jump right into this series called God at the Movies, and we start with the movie Jaws, and And I can still remember the environment of, of that movie theater when I was a little kid, and, and we went to see Jaws, and I was just a, a, a little guy, and, and I can still hear that creepy music playing in that movie theater. And it was so crowded and we had to go and sit on the front row. And and there wasn't any movies like that at the time. And and we sit there and we watch this shark like eat everybody. And, And I was a little guy. I'll be honest with you. You know, I had to go home that day after that movie and change my underwear. I just did. It was not pretty. Hey, uh, but, but here's my number one takeaway with this movie. Just, just, just one thing. One thing. And, and if you get this one thing, then you're going to get the theme of everything that I'm talking about today. And, and, and here it is. If I don't go and kill that 25-foot great white monster that is terrorizing the beaches of my life, then he's going to kill me.
0: What? really oh man that's your big spiritual theme you got to destroy that 25 foot man-eating shark before it destroys you and this is an allegory then so this is an allegorical shark
3: oh brother and 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 it's one or the other so, so I want to ask you a question today, and, and this is personal, and you sure don't come, need to come and, and tell me the answer, but, but just right where you're sitting, East Sunshine, Norton Campus, think about this. What is your 25-foot great white monster? And, and, and don't all look at me.
0: Okay, come on, everybody. Get real. Be authentic. Tell us what your 25-foot great white monster is. Um oh. You know, what's funny is is that you can actually kind of sort of work out some kind of a basic spiritual theme from Jaws. You can take a look at it from the point of view of the results of the fall, okay? As a result of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, we are all born dead in trespasses and sins, and... The earth was cursed too. I mean, you know, there's, you got the fear of animals, you got death and destruction coming into the planet. You talk about tsunami. So the idea is, is that twenty-five foot long man-eating sharks are a result of the fall, and uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a cursed creation at this point, and this is a result of our sin. This would be a great springboard back then into the solution, which is Christ and Him crucified for our sins. I wonder if Tommy's going to get there, though. Let's, well, let's see what happens. Let's keep going.
3: Me like you're innocent? I know better. Come on. Come on. What, what, what is that thing to where you can't even go way out waist deep without this thing start swimming all around your legs and you can hear that music in the background? And, and is, it, is it an insecurity?
0: Oh, yeah. The insecurity shark. <laughs> Sounds deadly.
3: Maybe the inability to forgive what is devoted to your destruction is
0: oh, oh boy yeah here's the deal is we need a clear definition of what the bible teaches about who we are by nature as a result of the fall not the who who what humanity is by nature prior to the fall uh prior to the fall humanity is not sinful there is no death there is no destruction there is no disease there's you know, there's no man-eating sharks either. Um, in fact, you know, I, I'm sure prior to the fall that uh, great white sharks were as fun to be around as flipper. flipper. Um, but uh, that's not the case anymore. Um, So, so what, Tommy, at this point, you know, in order to be relevant, you know, because I'm, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be a trailblazer. I'm going to be innovative. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, you know, do something to grow the kingdom of God by giving... The so-called seeker, what they want to hear, they want relevant stuff. They they all love the movie Jaws, so I'm going to preach about the movie Jaws, and he, here it just completely falls flat because he's allegorized the shark. Um, you know what what's the, what's the big shark in your life? Is it insecurity? Yeah, I, I don't have to worry about the insecurity shark, you know, killing me. I, I I don't think I'm going to suffer death as a result of the insecurity shark. But not only that, it in a bad way, it 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 makes it sound like the 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 problem is not inside of us or as a result of the fall, but it sounds like it's disconnected from who I am. And uh, yeah, there we we we've got a problem here, and and what's missing is a good solid biblical teaching on uh, on who we are by nature. So I mean, I, just, I mean, just to give an example, I mean, if you have your Bible, flip on over to Romans chapter three. Let's just. Let's do a little biblical text work here, okay? Because in Romans, Paul does a fantastic job of laying out what our problem is prior to preaching the gospel. And this is an important part of preaching the gospel. You have to understand what the bad news is before you can understand what the good news is. You have to understand the condemning, killing work of the law, and it has to be applied to you specifically, prior to you hearing the gospel. Otherwise, you don't understand just how sweet and how good news the good news is. Good newsy? Anyway, Um, so um, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Here's what it says. What then? Are, Are we Jews any better off? Well, no, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Um, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now talk about destruction here. That's some. This is the kind of destruction that is a result of our sin here. No, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be declared righteous in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the idea is this, is that all of us by nature, you know, since the, uh, the rebellion of Adam and Eve against God in breaking the commandment, in breaking the covenant with God, in eating the fruit that they were told not to eat of, uh, from the tree they were told not to eat of it, um, from that point forward, the creation is cursed, and as a result of it, all of us, according to, you know, and let me give this a good cross reference here Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 1 and you know Paul talking to the Ephesians prior to their uh, you know w- w- what they were prior to becoming Christians and he says to them chapter 2 verse 1 and you were dead in trespasses and sins and once you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and mind and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind so I mean if here's the deal you don't want to you don't want to take the problems that that humanity truly faces and put them into the wrong category and and come up with a solution that is not the right solution either you have to really hit the problem dead on the reason why there are man eating sharks is because of our sinful rebellion against god the the creation groans in anticipation of the revealing of the sons of God on the last day, so even the, gro- the 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 creation itself is frustrated. Man-eating sharks, those are our fault, because we rebelled and sinned against God. You, you get what I'm saying here. So, but what Tommy Sparger is trying to do here is, well, come up with some kind of principle or or tip or some kind of life transforming advice that you can apply to your life, then your life will improve, and then you and then you know, and then because your life has improved and you've experienced life transformation, you'll 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 trust him, you know, with the with the greater message of Christianity. But nothing could be further from the truth. Let's continue.
3: Is it is it sin or or maybe an addiction? Or, 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 for you, maybe it's lust, or, or, or maybe it's sex, or maybe it's an unhealthy relationship, or, or something you should have ended a long time ago, but you didn't, and nobody's judging. I mean, we're, we're all in. Now I got,
0: I got to say this: there are some people who've had really bad relationships, and they would say, "Yeah, yeah comparing a bad relationship to a great white man-eating shark is probably, you know, a, an appropriate metaphor." Th- that's beside the point here. That's kind of missing the point. Just want to point that out. You know.
3: In this together but but we're talking about that monster what is it when you wade out waist deep he's coming after you and you have to deal with him is it fear maybe it's anxiety for you or or, or maybe depression
0: yeah the anxiety shark yeah or the depression shark <laughs> yeah that depression shark he wants to kill me oh i just don't have the energy to fight him anymore i guess i'll just have to die
3: or pornography or, or materialism. The list goes on and on and on. And even as I say it right now, you're thinking about what your situation is. What is your great white monster that, that seriously, now, now this is serious. If you don't kill it, it's going to kill you because it's hungry.
0: Okay, now notice you, who's got to do the killing uh, you do. You you got to be the one blowing the head off of your great white shank, shark. Whether it's the anxiety shark, the pornography shark, the, uh, the uh, sex shark, the uh, depression shark, or the uh, – uh, uh, I forget the other sharks. But it, 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 kind of the shark metaphor breaks down when you start talking about it like that.
3: And it's an eating machine. And it is devoted to your destruction. So, so, so what gives? What is that thing? If you don't deal with it, well, it's sure going to deal with you. Now, 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 let me read just for a moment some, some verses for, from the New Testament that I think are very relevant to this discussion that, that we're having. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. And, and these are very interesting verses because it's, it's really what we're going to read in these few verses is a theme that's repeated throughout the new testament so so you kind of need to 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 get this ephesians 4 22 through 24 it, it it says this you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self and and that's up to you to get rid of that and that's that destructive nature that's that thing in you that 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 makes you insecure and it makes you jealous. It makes you need things that th- that you wish you didn't need. It's that thing.
0: Okay. Now notice he's actually
3: describing
0: our sinful nature, our fallen sinful nature. This is that's what he's describing. But he's not doing it in a systematic way. As a result of it, uh, the the doctrine's not gonna. It's not gonna be really taught succinctly or clearly. You know. So. He's he's touching on the problem here correctly, and 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 I I would actually say that uh, Ephesians chapter four. Let's let's read it in context because um, verse twenty two starts in the middle of a sentence. Um, so and keep this in mind: Ephesians is written to a Christian church. It's written to the churches in Ephesus, and so the per the people who are reading this are already Christians, which means that they are fundamentally. Um, and intrinsically different than non-believers. And, and here's the reason why, is that Christians, unlike unbelievers, have a new nature, okay? They are regenerated. They have been raised from the dead spiritually. And what happens is, is that um, for Christians, um, they get to live the rest of their lives with these battling natures the the old sinful nature design, desiring the destruction of the new man that we are in Christ and we and this is absolutely something fundamentally different within us it is a new ne- a new nature that has been brought forth by the preaching of the gospel okay uh nonbelievers don't have this and so this the the new man does good works by nature that's what the new man does but the old man hates God doesn't want to do anything, uh, anything good or obedient to God, and it wars with the uh, with the uh, the new nature in Christ, that we are in Christ that we have in Christ, and so this is kind of what's getting what Paul is getting at to the heart of here in Ephesians chapter four. So, so we'll start at verse seventeen. So Paul writes, he says, "Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds." They are darkened in their understanding, and they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay. Now notice, so here the Apostle Paul, I mean, it's almost like he throws in this little, this little uh, thought here, uh, making it clear that what he's saying here is f- for Christians only. Okay. And if you're hearing this and you're not a Christian, you, that, that, that should alert you to the fact that this, what he's about to say isn't true of you. uh you know this is this is this is this is true of christians okay so you, you you get rid of that old self take it off put on the new self and continually do this day after day uh, let me continue with the thought therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor and do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you notice that the gospel is clearly in there as well okay so here's the here's the deal if you if we were to go with tommy spargers kind of way of looking at this he's allegorizing the, the movie jaws um it it's kind of wrong to put our individual sins on the level of a shark okay uh, this shows, got I think, kind of a, a a a lack or something missing in his in his doctrine and his theology and his understanding of what the scriptures teach. I mean, you could make the case, like uh, like one of the apostles did, that the devil is a you know is the shark that wants to devour us. That I think would be a fair allegory if you were you know to try to tease out the the spiritual themes here. The devil is the one who is a roaring lion, according to scriptures, seeking whom he may devour. You know, we already have that biblical metaphor. So if you were to say that, you know, the the devil is this great white shark seeking to devour you, that I think would be far more biblically accurate. But what we're doing here is, is that uh, we're making each of our individual pet sins into that shark that seeks to devour us. This smells to me. Yep. Yep. That's therapy. Yep. Psychology. That's no, not just psychology. Yep, pop psychology. Yeah, see, we got a problem here. We got a problem here. We're not really being true to the biblical metaphors and teaching here, but let's continue.
3: ...thing that rips you to pieces. Put off that old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. And look, 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 this is so cool. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness.
0: Now, Yeah, now this is only true for Christians, Tommy. Now, you're a seeker-driven pastor. The reason why you're preaching on the movie Jaws is because you think that this is how evangelism is done. Now, since this is an evangelistic sermon on your part, you have a responsibility, Tommy, to let the non-Christians in the audience know that they don't have this new nature. All they are is the old nature.
3: What a cool plan, right? You just take off the old self, all of that self-destruction, all of your garbage, all of the junk you deal with, you just take it off, be done with it, and, and then put on the new self, which is the wholeness that comes from God. Jesus' way of life.
0: Uh, no, oh man, hang on a second here. I, I, I interrupted him in a way that I think I need to go back and give let him speak just a little bit more for context' sake. This is a problem. This is actually a big problem. Let's listen in.
3: And, and then put on the new self, which is the wholeness that comes from God. Jesus' way of life, to where you experience life and, and experience it to the full, you're happy, you're content. So, so. Be-
0: okay, did you catch that? The, the new self is, the, is experiencing life to the whole? No, actually it's talking about the regenerate nature that, that, that Christians have. It's not about experiencing life to the whole. It's about that new creation in Christ. You know, for those who are in Christ, Jesus are a new creation. We are, we have been regenerated. We have been born again. We've been raised from the dead spiritually. Um, This is talking about our new nature in Christ, not about some new way of living. This is not just a, you know, the, it, it, this almost sounds like he's making it sound like Christian, you know, that the, the new nature in Christ is just a, 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 you applying a, a new set of principles so that you can experience the abundant life. This is a problem.
3: Be done with the old, put on the new, and, and, and what a cool plan. If it were only that easy. But because, and you know this is true, there's a problem. This is a good plan, but there is a glitch in the system. There is a shark swimming around out there in the beach where where, where people are hanging out. And, And I'll show you exactly what it is. There are some verses, I just want to share this with you, Uh, some verses in the book of Romans chapter 7, and and this is a segment of scripture, and it's written by the Apostle Paul, and these are some of the most insightful words, I think, not only in the Bible, but throughout history about about the nature of of mankind. So Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 19, check this out, And, and even if you're like not much of a church person, and it's been forever since you read the Bible, maybe you've never read the Bible, trust me, you'll be, you'll be able to relate to these verses. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do or what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree. The law is good as it is no longer myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do...
0: Notice the text is doing a far better job of teaching than he is.
3: ...do what is good. I want to do good, but I cannot carry it out. For for, For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Listen, listen, listen. Paul's saying, I want to put on the new self, but... Now, come on. Confession's good for the soul. East Sunshine, Norton Campus, how many of you relate to this? Oh, you want to do good, but it's, oh, come on, come on. Some of you are telling the truth. The rest of you, a bunch of liars, ought to be raising your hands for anybody else. I see you. I know who you are. Listen, Paul is saying, if, if I am truly, truly honest about myself with you, and I may be an apostle, and I may be writing the Bible, and, and I may be a lot of things, but if I am honest about myself with you, then I will admit that there are chunks of my soul that are completely out of control. And, and, and I intellectually get the answer, but in my soul, it's driving me crazy.
0: Okay, now One, I want to point something out here. The Apostle Paul is describing the struggle that the Christians have as a result of the fact that we have two warring natures and the apostle paul what does he say there he's talking about his sinful flesh his, the you know the the sinful flesh that he inherited we refer to it as the old adam okay and it wars with and against uh you know the the new man that we are in christ so that paul here is describing what you know the reformers refer to as the doctrine of simul justus et peccator and this is this is the doctrine that teaches that christians are simultaneously justified, that means declared righteous before God and still sinner at the same time you know so we we are awaiting a new resurrected body that will not sin that we will we will not have this sinful nature that we have to struggle with and deal with, and so that's our hope in christ is in the resurrection to finally be done with sin and in this lifetime we struggle against it we daily have to fight against our sinful nature that's what paul's describing here in this passage but tommy here he's letting his allegor his allegorical interpretation of the spiritual message in the book in the movie jaws to uh you know to really be the, what's you know the engine in this, this sermon train. And as a result of it, he's trying to bring passages to bear that support his allegorical interpretation of the movie Jaws rather than systematically and methodically and respectfully and reverently teaching and preaching what God's Word says in context. We're getting passages ripped out of context in order to support his, Tommy Sparger's uh, point, not the point that the Bible is making. Let's continue.
3: Why do I do the things that I say I'm against? Why do I do this? And, and I know this is true for you. I know it's true for me. Even with me, me, just pitifully stupid things. Like, like, like I will commit myself, I'm going to start eating well. That's what I'm going to do. And then I go to Andy's. That's what I do. It's like, it's all, it's a compulsion. It's like, it's, it's like, oh, I can resist, resist, but I need it. Now, now this is Andy's. This is stuff I'll tell you about. But I mean, can you imagine? We all deal with everything. Listen, listen.
0: Yeah. That's the, 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 Ooh, the, I ate too much shark.
3: (sighs) I say, Hey, I'm going to be patient. My wife wants me to be patient. I'm going to be under self-control. I'm going to lower my blood pressure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be cool. Then some hillbilly gets in the left-hand lane in front of me going 10 miles under the speed limit. And you can't honk at these people. They think you're waving at them. You honk, and they're like, hey, Cousin Billy, that, that's what goes on. What, so, so why do I do what I don't want to
0: do? That doesn't sound like sin to me. That just sounds like a nuisance. Notice, I mean, at this point, we're watering down what sin is, and that, that's a big problem. That's not, that's not a small problem. That's big.
3: Do! Now, 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 let me just tell you what I love about Romans 7, and about the Apostle Paul, and about the whole Bible, and about God. I love the honesty. I, I love the authenticity. I love the, the gut-wrenching, lay it out and talk about it. But, but, but,
0: yeah, then why don't you spend a lot more time in the text, and you know, since you love the honesty of the biblical text, and why don't you spend far more time teaching it? Rather than trying to cl- come up with some clever, relevant thing to, uh, you know, to tickle the ears of people.
3: Because really, if, if if you talk to anyone that knows anything about human nature and, and, and about the spiritual life, they will tell you that the, the first step in dealing with the monster, the great white, the problem, the issues in life is admit reality. Now, now that probably...
2: Mm,
0: kind of. Um, this sm- smells like a 12-step... Uh, you know, addiction program to me. You gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta first admit that you're an alcoholic before that you, before you can begin the steps to recovering, being, you know, you know, recovering from alcoholism. That's what this sounds like to me.
3: It seems like, well, no brainer. I mean, duh, but I don't know about you, but since I've been a Christian, I would say 90% of the environments that I've been involved in, in a Christ, as a Christian in church environments, they require me to, to kind of fake it a little bit. Like like, like it, they're good places to grow and and, and and you can grow and you can learn, but, but there's usually like a chunk of yourself that you just can't admit exists. You just can't because you gotta put on this like pseudo-holiness thing and a mask.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds to me like uh, you know a, a church that doesn't understand the proper distinction between law and gospel. As a result of it, people are putting their piety on parade you know to make it look like that that you know they're really truly you know devoting themselves to Jesus and they're not confessing that they're sinners in need of a savior and hearing the good news that Christ died for their sins yeah i've been in those churches myself don't particularly care for them because you're right people put on a facade and that's kind of the whole idea behind hypocrisy is you put on a mask in order to hide uh,
3: the truth and, and the problem is, with these environments, is the very thing you need to be talking about, that, that thing you need to be dealing with, is the very thing you can't talk about. So, so, so I love the honesty. There's an honesty.
0: Off- and you know, he's right there. Yeah, People can't talk about their sin in a, in a lot of churches, and that's a problem.
3: Author by the name of Barbara Brown and and she writes something and and I wrote it down and I want to read it to you and I just want to see if you can relate to it or not so 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 right now everyone with me East Sunshine Norton campus everybody raise your hands if you're ADD come back to me raise your hands you're with me raise your hand raise your hand or a shark will bite you okay all right now now listen I just want you to hear what I'm going to read and 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 then we'll do another mass confession here it is I am convinced the 99% of us are addicted to something, whether it's eating, shopping, blaming, or taking care of others. Uh,
0: what? Addicted to something? How about 100% of us are sinners? 100% of us are guilty of transgressing God's law. I think that's a that's a better statistic. That's relevant to everybody.
3: The simplest definition of an addiction is anything that we use to fill the empty place inside of us that belongs to God alone. Mass Confession, East Sunshine, Norton Campus, how many of you can relate to this? Right. So, 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 so okay, that's, all, that's a lot of us. Now, some of you has put your hand up because you didn't like being ridiculed last time. But that's cool. Listen, here's the question. Why do I do what I don't want to do?
0: Because you have a sinful nature. And by the way, this only really happens with, with Christians. Okay? It is Christians who, uh, who are warring against their sinful nature. You know, Non-Christians, they enjoy sin. They, they're pretty darn happy with it.
3: Why is that? Because everything in me wants to do right. Everything in me wants to please God. Everything in me wants to have a great marriage. Everything in me wants to be a great dad. Everything in me wants to be holy. Everything in me... Why do I do what I don't want to do? Paul tells us, Romans chapter 7, verse 20. He gives an answer to this. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Now, now hear me. Paul is not saying that he's not responsible for his own actions. You can't get that from the context of everything he writes.
0: He's, not He's talking about his sinful nature.
3: He's not saying that, but he is saying that there's a problem. There's a big problem. And he gives this problem a name. And, and, and this problem is not lack of willpower. It's not a discipline issue. It's not even an integrity issue. It's, it's, it's not a character flaw. He, he, he gives this problem a name. It is a disease. And the name of this disease is sin.
0: Yes, that, that's a good way to describe sin, as a disease that we are all carriers of, that we, are all, we will all test positive for. And it manifests itself with many different symptoms, but every single one of us is born sin-sick you know, by nature with this disease.
3: So awesome and horrible is this problem, that when God comes to visit planet Earth, he teaches us so many amazing things. He walks on the water. He teaches us how to follow him. He teaches us how to love. He does so many amazing things. But really, really, even though he did all those really cool things, his number one mission when God comes to planet Earth is to deal with this disease.
0: Right. And how does he do it? By bleeding and dying. He takes our punishment upon himself and he is crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. You can't talk about our sin sickness with, uh, and mention that Jesus came to solve the problem without giving us the solution, and that is the very blood of God.
3: To deal with sin. Now, now you may think, well, I'm a Christ follower, and there's some things I need to stop. There's some things I need to get past. There are some things that need to be behind me. I need to put off the old self and put on the new. When you said that, I knew that was me. I do have a great white monster. How do I now deal with that? Listen, uh,
0: great, the great white monster, again, what is it? It's, your, it's It's a particular sin in your life. And notice he says that you know, 90% of us suffer from addiction. So this, the, these are the, the solutions that he's giving here fall into the category of therapy not repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is a different solution. This is almost a different gospel, dare I say it.
3: Listen, I want to quickly give you just a few steps. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Okay,
0: you are going to be given a few steps on how to kill the shark. Apparently, all you need is a couple of steps. Just follow these simple steps, and, and you can kill that shark that wants to destroy you. Hmm, Sounds um, wrong.
3: I want to give you just a few quick steps for dealing with the 25-foot great white monster in your life. No, no matter what it is, no, no, whether it's a sin or, or, or an issue that uh, you're insecure, or jealous. I mean, the, the list goes on and on, addictions, whatever. Just, just, the, these are just three things that I find very helpful. Number one, be honest. You just have to be honest, and by that I mean you've got to acknowledge the truth, and you have to stop justifying it, and, and you have to stop blaming it on your parents because they didn't raise you right. Well, none of us are raised perfect. At, at, at some point you have to say, here's my issue, and I own it, and here's the reality of it, and, and I'm going to break down. You know.
0: Now, in times past, we would talk about confessing your sins, but the whole point of confession in the Christian church is not that you just get it off your chest. Uh, the point of confession is for you to hear the absolution, that Christ bled and died for those sins. Something, Something's really screwy here.
3: All of the walls and all of the things I do to protect myself and say that it isn't so when it really is so, call it what it is. It, be honest. Acknowledge the truth. The second thing, and, and this is really big, but, but this is not easy to do, so let me just give you a little direction on it. Be accountable. Now, now, now let me tell you what I mean by this. At, at some point, I need to come out of hiding. So
0: find an accountability partner. That's what they do in the 12-step programs, okay?
3: And talk with someone else. The book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, tells me that I'm supposed to bring my issues to someone else, and, and that's good for the soul. Therefore, cons- This is chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so con- that you may
0: be... Con- confess your sins. Con- your sins. the point of confession is the absolution to hear that Christ bled and died for those sins. Ay yeah yeah so here's here's the problem is, is that all of this is coming under the category of therapy. this is a problem. therapy does not have any power to really ultimately conquer sin. you can manage it maybe put the shark in a cage and pray it doesn't get out. But uh, again, our problem our problem is more than just that we have uh, our lives are being ruined by sin. Now, we got a, we got another bigger problem, and that is is that our, we're going to be thrown into hell because of our sin. You got anything that resolves the justice of God issue?
3: Be he healed. See, see, here's the truth, and, and I'm just not trying to freak anybody out. But this is the truth. If 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 you don't come clean about your issues with somebody, then then all of your guilt and all of your shame, it's going to build up and it's going to drive you to greater loneliness and greater isolation. And, And what you will do, or most people will do, they will try to relieve that pain of that loneliness and that isolation by going back to the very behavior or habit that destroyed them and got them there to begin with. So we have to come clean. We have to bring it out of the darkness and into the light. So we have to talk with someone. And so probably the next question that you may have is, well, who do I talk to?
0: Yeah, that would be a great question, Pastor Sparger. You have any solutions as to who we might need to talk to and confess our sins to? Notice the passage you read in James talks about con- confessing our sins one to another. That would m- imply to brothers and believers. Well, let's see who we're supposed to you know, confess our sins to, according to you.
3: And, and that's the trick because you're probably thinking, well, people have big mouths. And, and, and the truth is people do have big mouths and, and they will share your secrets. Here's my suggestion. Get a good, because there's a lot of bad ones out there. Get a good professional therapist. Talk to that person. If that person. Get a therapist.
0: So, so here we got, we got sin destroying our, literally from the inside. And your solution is get a good therapist. Can a therapist absolve me of my sins? Can a therapist? Oh man, this is unbelievable.
3: Yeah. Some betrays your trust. You get to sue them. Okay. So, so it's safe. Be honest. Don't talk to me. I'll talk like a schoolgirl. Don't I, you know?
0: Did you catch that? Oh man, I gotta back that up because that is key. Keep in mind, we're listening to Pastor Tommy Sparger and his solution. Go, you know, you, you you got sin is destroying your life. Go get a therapist and find. Make sure it's a therapist because then if they 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 reveal your stuff to anybody, you can sue them. Who did he say not to go
3: to? Okay, so so it's safe. Be honest. Don't talk to me. I'll talk like a schoolgirl. Don't. Yeah.
0: I- don't confess your sins to Tommy Sparger. Don't confess your sins to Pastor Tommy Sparger because he'll share them with everybody, which means he's not really a pastor. For the last two thousand years, Christians have been able to go to their pastors and confess their sins and hear the absolution, to hear the gospel given specifically to them. And for 2,000 years, pastors have been, they basically have been under oath to take those confessions with them to the grave. Um, Apparently, Pastor Tommy Sparger is not somebody you can confess your sins to, because if you go to him and you tell him your sins, he's going to blog about it.
3: Uh, you know, you know, you're not paying me nothing. Don't talk to me. Go talk to a therapist. Be honest. Be accountable. Sorry if I offended you, schoolgirls, by the way. And number three, be done. Just be done with it. You, at some point, you're going to have to say no more. So much so that you arrange your life around being done. And, yeah. And-
0: so you just decide. I'm done with this sin. I'm done. I'm done petting and feeding the shark. You know, pieces of my flesh. And uh, so I'm just done with it. So it's all about willpower at this point. Um, it's not. It, you know, where's Jesus and Him crucified for our sins? The solution to our sin problem, given in Scripture, is not just find a good therapist and decide, you know, you know using willpower that you're that you're finally done with it. You know, no. The way sins are dealt with in the scripture, the way sins are dealt with by the church, is that Jesus bled and died for them. It's confession and absolution, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, law and gospel, sin and grace. That thing. It's it's a bleeding and dying and risen Savior. Oh, man.
3: And that may mean move or get help or get checked in or get over it or get counseling. You have to arrange your life around being rid of this great white monster, because if you don't, he's coming for you. Now, why am I so serious about this? Why do we treat this with just kind of, you know, fear and maybe even a little bit of paranoia? We're not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to make anyone afraid. But let me just show you how this monster works. Just so
0: please do.
3: So you know, James chapter one, verses 13 through 15 says, when tempted, no one should say God has tempted me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Now, now here's the progression and here's what you have to take note of verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown gives birth to death. So this temptation, it didn't come from God. This sin, it didn't come from God. Well, who did it come from? Let me show you. John chapter 10, verse 10. And this is such an interesting verse. It says that the thief, and and this guy is called in in other places in the Bible, Lucifer, the angel of light. uh,
0: Right, finally we're getting to the the real shark, the devil, right?
3: Satan, the, the thief comes only to still kill, and destroy. But here's Jesus, and this is Jesus talking, and he's explaining what he came for. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So, so you have extreme polar opposites and, and, and two different beings with two totally different agendas. Now, the, the, the tempter or the thief or the great white monster... He's going to show up, and it's going to look something like this. He's going to go into temptation mode. He's going to tempt you, and you know how this works. He plants a desire, and, and you're like, Woo, and, and then he's the promoter, and he promotes it, and, and, and in your mind, you're thinking this is going to be a yeah, thing. Uh, you know,
0: now, now he's saying that the devil is the great white shark, not just the individual sin. It's, I mean, this is convoluted. Is this a just lazy sermon prep? Is it because he doesn't understand sound biblical doctrine? I mean, what do we attribute this to?
3: thrill. It, it's going to make me happy. And then you move into to the place to where you rationalize it, to where you say, you know, it's going to be okay. I'll never get caught. God will forgive me. And, and then he goes into accuser mode. So, so, so literally 30 seconds after you do what he promoted, he's telling you, you're not even worthy to breathe. You call yourself a Christian. How could you ever do this? What are you thinking? So, 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 so the truth is, and, and this is really the takeaway. From this talk, this verse, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. That's the great white monster that we need to deal with. And and the way that we do...
0: Didn't Jesus deal with that great white monster? Do you think Jesus was doing anything on the cross? I mean, I'm curious. What do you think Jesus' role is in dealing with Satan? I'm curious.
3: do that is by incorporating the second part of this verse... This one that we call Jesus, he says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And, and what you have to know is that he came. So to the
0: great white shark Satan keeps is trying to steal your happiness, trying to make your life miserable. You know, that's what he's trying to do. He's, you know, he's just out there basically agitating and, and, and taking away, uh, you know, the abundant life that God wants to give you.
3: This hmm. planet to go to the cross to deal with that great white monster to deal with
0: your sin and Okay, now hang on a second i want to point something out he here in passing mentions the cross no explanation though watch this I, w- I want to play it in context i'm going to back up the audio just a smidge and i'm not going to interrupt him for you know a few seconds listen in
3: to the full and and what you have to know is that he came to this planet to go to the cross to deal with that great white monster to deal with your sin and, and the only person that can truly help you deal with this beast is this person that came to give his life for you. Now now here's the takeaway. Okay, now,
2: okay.
0: So here in passing we've we've heard something mentioned in passing. You know that Jesus died for you and had something to do with your sins. No explanation though. None whatsoever.
3: Here's the number one thing I want you to leave with today. It's time for you to blow the head off of that 25-foot great white monster in your life. Hmm. The scriptures
0: teach that Jesus blew the head off of that monster, Satan, on the cross. By his sufferings and death on the cross and is rising again on the third day. I don't have to blow the head off the shark. The shark had its head blown off by Jesus and it was done for me. Big difference.
3: No matter what it is, insecurity, jealousy, sin. the, the,
0: the And here we go again. The insecurity shark. Yeah, sounds deadly.
3: The the feeling inside of you that will not let you forgive someone. An addiction, sex, lust, an unhealthy relationship, fear, anxiety, depression, pornography, materialism. I I, I want everyone in this place to imagine something just for a moment. And, And this can happen for you. Imagine how cool it will be when that great white monster lies dead at the bottom of the ocean. Imagine that. Let's pray.
0: And that was it. Just imagine how cool it'll be when that big monster is lying dead on the bottom of the ocean because you blew its head off. Not Jesus. You did. You did all the work. You did the heavy lifting. You risked your life. You're no. And he mentioned, but see, Jesus doesn't fit into the therapy theology, does it? Jesus isn't our savior in therapy. He's our helper. He's the guy who's coaching us to take the steps to do what it takes to kill the shark. But the Bible teaches that Jesus is the one who killed the shark and that that shark is our great enemy, the devil. And Jesus defeated him and that Jesus on the last day is going to throw him into the lake of fire, along with everybody who continues to persist in their rebellion and unbelief and to not, not receive the forgiveness of their sins. You see, the Christian message is simple, and when you try to make it relevant rather than preach it as it stands, it becomes convoluted and hard to follow, in fact, hard to recognize. It was very difficult to recognize anything as far as sound biblical theology or doctrine in this so-called sermon on the movie Jaws. Why? Because it didn't begin in the Word of God. It began with the movie Which was, it never intended to be a vehicle for a Christian message at all. Sad, isn't it? (sighs) Tragedy. I, I, I pray that guys like Tommy Sparger repent. I pray that they repent and get back to doing expository preaching if he ever did it. Because it's God's Word that has the power, not the not the movie Jaws. It's God's Word that has the power to bring people to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins, to, to regenerate them, to cause them to be reborn, born again, to begin to produce uh, fruit in keeping with repentance in their life, the fruit of the Spirit. That's all produced by God's Word, not by the movie Jaws, nor is it produced by therapy. I'm sorry but people who are in therapy um if they don't trust in Christ with for the forgiveness of their sins they are no closer to uh, the kingdom of God than they were before they entered therapy maybe it's just that their sin got in the way of them having a productive life you know, you know alcoholism does have a tendency to restrict your career uh, advancements and so you you got to get rid of the alcoholism if you want to you know continue to climb up the corporate ladder right but that's a completely different motivation for curbing the sin in your life than the Christian has. Because we know that sin is rebellion against God. That sin is a is a, basically a despising of God's word. And it's a siding with the devil. And because God so richly loved us that he gave his life for us and sent his son to be crucified and suffer the punishment for our sin in our place, Christians don't want to continue siding with the devil because they've been purchased and bought from slavery to sin, death, and the devil by the blood of Christ. And now they're family members in the family of God and in the kingdom of God and anxiously awaiting his appearing. Yeah, it's completely different uh, motivation altogether. And yet the motivation that uh, Tommy Sparger gave is closer to the motivation that nonbelievers have you know sin is messing up my life you know this this habit or this this addiction is, is messing things up. I mean, I I want to have a healthy marriage, but you know, you know the pornography thing is getting in the way. I, I better get away, get get rid of that sexual addiction. Yeah, I want to be a I, I want to be the CEO of the corporation someday, but the problem is is that uh, you know I, I'm you know I'm I'm an alcoholic, and when I get off of work, I I go and I drink myself into oblivion, and I, and it's it's affecting everything in my life, and I'm not advancing the way I wanted to, so I can achieve the CEO's you know the office of CEO in the corporation. So I'll go into therapy and you know, go through a 12-step program to overcome my alcoholic addiction so that then I can advance up the corporate ladder and have that life I've always envisioned for myself. That's the motivation of paganism. That's not the motivation uh, that, that Christians have or, you know, at all, it's nice even say motivation for Christians is a completely wrong way of putting it, but you get what I'm saying. Hmm. I mean, it says this is sin management using the um, the motivation that pagans follow after already in their own lives. But it's not really truly repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Pray for Tommy Sparger. Pray that God would grant him repentance of his false doctrine, false methodologies, and false teaching here. And that he would open up the text and preach the text and stop with this nonsense. And that's what that really is. It's just nonsense. It's a distraction away from the truth. All right, I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons, Click on one of them. the 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 Join Our Crew button. You're signing up to automatically contribute six ninety five every month to the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith. And we still have we still need about a hundred and twenty five folks to uh, uh, to join our crew to ensure that month after month we're going to make budget. And it's kind of important, especially during these lean uh, summer months, that we make budget because our bills don't go away. But you know the money does actually get a little thinner during the summer months. So those of you who are supporting us financially through these times. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so what'd you think? You know, I'd love to get your feedback. My email address is talkback at or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.